Hi, I'm here with Bridget Donovan, product innovator and founder of Pineapple Studios, a life design and everyday innovation studio. She has an adorable cocker spaniel, only lives where it's warm, and isn't down with Alexa or Google Voice, even though she works in tech. So Bridget, welcome. Thank you so much, Paige. I'm excited to be here. So today we're going to talk about life design and innovation. So first, Bridget, can you tell me what does designing your life mean and how is it different than just living your life? That's a great starter question. Okay, so to design your life really means stepping into the role of a designer in your life. So you're designing for yourself as well. Like it's looking at what am what do I as an individual really hope to get out of life? What are the experiences I want to have? What's my kind of bigger vision? Um, and then you're stepping into this role of the person actually creating that and coming up with these more creative strategies to get there. So it sounds like designing your life means really living with a lot of purpose and making decisions that you are careful with. How do you feel about people who go about their lives and just make decisions at random or for what is best in the moment? What do you think about them? How do you interact with them? So I think being interested in design and innovation and kind of seeing that we all, in a way, have our own designs as well in terms of kind of what we want out of life or what our approach might be. For me, that's actually made me probably more tolerant and more accepting of, you know, other people's approach. So if that's the approach someone else wants to take and that's what makes them happy, awesome. Or if that's not what makes them happy and they're just not in a place to make some shifts to be happier and more fulfilled, in my opinion, that's okay too. For me, the reason I share what I've learned working in tech and innovating and why I'm so passionate now about life design is because I've seen that it made such a big impact on me. I just, before I learned about it, I just wasn't quite as aware of and didn't feel as empowered and didn't realize how much of an impact I could make. And that didn't feel good. It didn't feel good to not feel like the designer of my life. You know, it didn't feel good to like see external outside factors being bigger and stronger than me. So for me, if anyone's looking for more fulfillment or they feel like things are off, I want this to be a very accessible tool that they can use if they want to. But I totally get there's a lot of people out there that are going with the flow. And if that's what makes them happy, awesome. So it sounds like you used to be a bit of a go-with-the-flow person. What age did you become the designer of your own life? What age did you decide, okay, this is my life, I have control of it, no one makes these decisions but me? I think that life handed me these situations that were more challenging to kind of make me take ownership a little bit more. So, you know, starting off where I was around people that I loved and if they were happy, I was happy. That's how I felt. So I was just going with the flow, just wanted everyone around me to be happy. And so they could come up with the plans of what we were going to do. They could come up with the ideas. And I honestly was kind of like a, a hype woman, if you will, kind of just I was there for it. But once I moved to Austin and was almost like recreating my life, right? I had graduated from college. Now I had to figure out what I was doing with my career. And all of a sudden, a lot more was on my shoulders. And I also ended up finding myself around people who I wasn't really comfortable with them making as much of the decisions and just going with it. You know, like they did not seem as happy when I first got here in Austin. Like obviously Austin, Austin is an awesome city, so many great people, but I just happened to fall into 
some scenarios where I had to get a lot more serious about taking a step back and figuring out what I wanted because the people around me did not seem to have as like good of intentions as I was used to growing up. If that does that make sense? It's a little vague, but um, <laughs> it is. It also is a little like cryptic, right? It sounds like there's like these awful people around me, and and there weren't at all. But like, you know, it it. I think I just woke up some to like really looking at my values, and because sometimes my values were not aligning with the values of people around me, and even though they were good people, like sometimes what they were doing wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Like I ended up switching much more to a lifestyle that like didn't revolve around drinking or you know being at a bar. Like I wanted to be more active. I wanted to. I wanted my career to take off. I wanted to be making a positive impact in the world. Like things like that is are kind of the things that made me have to wake up a little bit and start to take ownership for, okay, if I'm not where I want to be, what do I need to do to get there? And that's kind of where things shifted some. I do have a few follow-up questions about that. But before, you mentioned values is something that makes up life design. What components go into life design? Would it be, you know, a list of things like values, beliefs, goals, or is it integrated into something else? Can you tell me about that? Yeah, definitely. So everything you just listed honestly does go into life design. It's, you know, in some ways it's a different steps that you can take. It's like a design process and it's applying that to what you want in life. So for example, the first process oftentimes in design is discovery. So if you're, you know, doing design thinking at Stanford, they're going to call that empathy or empathizing and like taking the time to observe and understand people before you build for them. In life design, you're taking the time often to understand yourself and because you're about to build for yourself. So you're taking the time to empathize and really build compassion and really a deep understanding. So to me, I call that discovery. So it's awareness, self-discovery. And part of that is collecting information and doing some reflection to then be able to go to the next stage, which is defining. And that's a, a huge stage in design as well to define you know, what is my vision? What is my mission in life? What are my core values? Because when you define those things, they end up becoming a compass and like this North Star that you're building towards. And that's super powerful to have when you're essentially building into the unknown, right? You're innovating, you're creating something that didn't even exist before. You're building forward. And so it's really helpful to be able in order to navigate the unknown it's helpful to have that guidance and that kind of compass to help you it sounds like life design then is really about mapping your future vision and then choosing day-to-day activities that align and will help you get there the people you're around the activities you're doing you know if you want to build a good career maybe not staying out every night drinking if you want to have a ton of friends maybe stay out every night drinking so doing things to push yourself into this future state. How can someone know that the things that they are doing, the activities they're choosing, the job they're working, the friends they are around, how can they measure and see if it will launch them into the future they want? So how can they measure if what they're doing on a day-to-day basis is actually getting them to the outcomes that they really want? Yeah, that's a great question. And you touched on something before of that I think is that of reflecting back what life design is that's spot on. And that is 
cause and effect, basically, is being a designer and stepping into that role of designer, it really is understanding that concept of cause and effect. Like if I want these things to happen, I have to figure out what creates those things to happen. So there's definitely some experimentation with that. There's testing and trying, but it really helps to, A, you're taking the time to really get clarity and be intentional and think through what you actually want and what aligns with your kind of your bigger vision. And then you are doing some trial and error. The other side of that is testing things and seeing what's actually getting me there or not. It's helpful to see it almost as this iterative process, right? So you start off by being curious, seeing what you want to build and why you want to build it. You define it so you're really clear on it. And then you actually start building and you start prototyping essentially and you you launch it like you're actually delivering it out into the world. You're bringing your ideas out into the world and then you're taking the time. And this is really key to also reflect. Objective observation is really, really crucial to be able to see, is this getting me where I want to go or not? And so a lot of times we're not always super honest with ourselves if we're making the decisions to get to where we want to be because we're scared of judgment or blame or we don't want to see ourselves as, you know, that we failed at something. And so oftentimes there's just kind of this not even wanting to acknowledge that things aren't going the way that we want to or that we have made a decision that ultimately did create a whole different scenario than what we actually want. So objective observation is something that's really, really powerful because what it lets us do is like, we're not going to blame. We're not going to say like, oh, I was bad because I did something. We're just observing like, did that go well or not? Like, did that get the result I wanted or not? And if it didn't, why not? And there's just curiosity around that. And that puts us in this really powerful place, again, as the designer, because then it's not pass or fail, right? It's, is it getting us closer? And if not, why not? And so we just are doing the next iteration. So that's the cool thing about design is that like it's never done. It's just this ongoing process of building and learning. And that's one of the really powerful things because life is honestly really similar in that way. We just don't always realize it. And that can block us because we just see it as like, oh, that didn't work out the way I wanted. I failed. And like we don't even try again. But design allows us to be like, oh, yeah, that didn't go well. Why? And then we keep trying again over and over and over and keep getting better and better results. And so that's what helps us move closer and closer to the needle of what we really want. That is very interesting. How would you recommend someone get over or get past blockers that are keeping them from their goals? What are some strategies you use? To get over our blockers, so one of the first things is acknowledging the blocker. And again, having curiosity around what is a route for creating it. And what I mean by like curiosity is that this is where the five whys, this is a tool that we use in life design that's super powerful, where you're basically like a little kid where you just keep asking why. Like, oh, I I feel stuck right now, right? This is blocking me. Okay, why is it blocking me? Oh, well, because of this. Okay, well, why, why is that happening? Oh, well, because of this. Oh, well, why is that happening? And you keep going. And by the time you've asked why five times, oftentimes you're getting to that root problem. And when you can address the root problem, that's one of the most powerful places to be putting your energy and time 
And that often helps us like get over a block much faster than if we are in one of those situations where we feel like we keep, you know, hitting our head against the wall, right? Because I I think we've all run into that sometimes. Getting really curious and asking why is this happening, like what's going on here, that lets us get way more impactful. One example in one of my favorite books on life design is a woman who her trainer wanted her to be drinking more water and hydrating. That was one of the big first steps. And she had started and she was doing really great. And then all of a sudden she just stopped and she wasn't drinking as much water. And when she was asked why, she's like, I don't know, I think I'm just forgetting. And when they dug in a little bit more of why she realized she actually felt guilty at work because she was drinking so much water that she had to get up and go to the restroom way more at work than she had before. And she felt bad about it. Like she was taking away time from work, you know, that people were going to judge her for how often she was getting up from her desk. And I know that sounds crazy, you know, as an adult to worry about those sorts of things, but she didn't even realize she was worrying about it. She thought she was just forgetting to drink her water after having several days of being really good about it. It just, she just hit this block. But when she really took the time to reflect and ask those whys, that's what came up. And so, It's kind of like that, like just taking the time to see like, okay, well, what's really going on here? And sometimes it's like these funny little things that we don't even realize until we dig in a little bit of, oh, I I literally felt bad that I was using the restroom so much. And once you know that, without any judgment, right, not judging yourself for feeling bad or anything like that, then that makes it so much easier to like design for it. Like, okay, like there's a lot, you can come up with a lot of different clever solutions to work through that and then stay hydrated. (laughs) I love that. Stay hydrated. So what about when someone is in a life that is hard to get out of? So let's say someone is maybe knee deep into a PhD program that they realize they don't want to be in anymore. Or someone lives in Nebraska and, you know, they've got a family of four and they realize, oh, this actually isn't for me. I don't want to be in this part of the country. I don't know if this is the right career for me. How would you recommend someone uproot their lives or get out of a situation that is pretty far along and is maybe a little bit more difficult than just drinking more water? So in innovation, they say dream big and start small. So, you know, have a vision that really gets you excited, that really feels good, you know, that so you you know that it really aligns with that bigger thing that's calling you, you know, because if you really want to make this huge change in your life, oftentimes there's something pulling you to do that. If it's if you're kind of uprooting everything or making this big shift. So really listening to that bigger calling and getting really clear and honest with yourself about that vision can really help inspire you to start to make those changes. But Rome wasn't built in a day. We all know that. So being comfortable of then looking at that big vision and then taking a step back and saying, okay, well, where can I start? What can I do today to get a little bit closer there? So that's the general approach and innovation. Dream big, start small. Have patience with yourself as you're incrementally making those changes to get to where you want to go. Because the awesome thing about that is when we try to make these huge changes, sometimes our brain, the way it works, it wants to keep us safe. So sometimes when we try to make this huge change, we'll see ourselves reverting back or getting stuck and never making any change at all because we're so scared to make one big change. So design or behavioral design, it 
keeps that in mind. It's like you make these kind of small incremental changes that you feel comfortable with, but because you, then you're willing to make those small changes day by day, then when you look back, you realize you've just made this huge transformation because you committed to those small steps each day or incrementally. So never downplay, never forget the power of small change, even when your vision of what you want compared to where you are now, even if it feels huge, never let that be daunting. Trust the process of the small steps. That being said, there's a second part to that because that's really, you know, that's the approach of innovation that kind of goes along with what I teach often. But the other thing I will call out is that one thing I love about life design or just thinking about our lives from the perspective of a designer is that you get really good at paying attention to yourself and your own design and what you need, like what success is going to look like for you. So some people may be more risk averse. And when you do that initial discovery and when you learn how to be more like pay more attention to you and how you operate and what your design is, then you know, you'll know you know if I'm more risk averse, then maybe I'm going to do something that supports my needs as a risk averse person, right? So you may take the smaller steps, but that may not be the best solution for everyone. Again, when you're the designer of your life, like you know if you're the type of person that needs to pack up your entire car and make that huge move and that's what's calling you, then, you know, as the designer of your life, you get to decide is maybe that is that the right process for for me and for myself as what they say is like a user, right? When you're designing software, you're designing for your users, the people that will use what you're building. And so your future self is also the user of what you're building, the decisions you're planning for and making today. So, you know, you're also making these sometimes big decisions for your future self. So it's really knowing you know, what is she or he going to need and kind of setting them up for success. So that's the other, that's kind of the caveat to that idea of incremental steps is that's a very powerful tool to incrementally build towards what you want. But it's also very powerful as the designer to build that trust with yourself of knowing what you need and making those decisions to give yourself what you need because what worked for someone else may not always work for you. So as a designer of your own life, you get really, really good at knowing what's going to work for me. Do you believe that fate or luck plays any role in this? Do you think that sometimes even if someone makes all the right choices, they might not get their dream? Or conversely, someone could make all the wrong choices and still wind up living their dream? I think that life design is a combination of strategy and the magic of life, right? The, the serendipities, the things that you could plan for a million years and never even see it coming, right? But that's what makes life so amazing. That's what makes it so fun is that we really don't know and that there are all of these other factors in play. And so in a lot of ways, I think the most fulfilled, joyful, person is the one who is aware of the things that they can control or the things that they can make a difference in and put their energy towards that and then be able to let go of the other things and really give in sometimes to the magic of the unknown and to the opportunities that even if they didn't, you know, you could do a 10-year plan, right? A lot of the exercises I do, they have you imagine yourself in 10 years, even at the end of your life. Like there's one exercise that you're essentially writing your, what is it called when after you pass away? Like your- Your well? When someone's like, talking about you your eulogy 
yes, like it's basically writing like what would my eulogy sound like if I stay on the track I'm on now versus what would I want it to say, right? So one of the exercises, you're literally thinking all the way down to the end of your life. So yes, it does get your brain thinking very far ahead. But the reason that we think that far ahead is not to plan out every single detail of our life. It's to get a deeper understanding of what we really want and how we really want to show up in the world so that when these opportunities come that we could not have predicted or when we get to this fork in the road, we can kind of follow that inner compass a little bit more and be able to make more conscious decisions to get closer to our dreams. So that's a really long-winded way of saying basically like I do believe in, you know, things outside of us and I think that there's a lot of opportunity to co-create with it. And so I think that means really embracing the good and being like having faith in the good and working with it. And then I think it also means understanding that with good, that also means there's going to be some bad. So like things will happen sometimes that we just don't have control over. And that's where design also, I think, can be really beneficial, though, because it allows us it's, it's a constraint, right? It's a factor that you can either let it pull you all the way down or you get, again, go back to those creative strategies, go back to the drawing board and say, this is this is the current state. Like, what am I going to do with it? And kind of play with it some. So in our American culture, I do feel like there's a bit of a fear-based model in terms of how we make decisions, right? We're always thinking about how can we protect ourselves and our future selves. How would you recommend someone go from a fear-based model of thinking to one that is more open, more hopeful, more innovative? So there's this huge fear of the unknown. And that even sometimes can lead people to making decisions that keep them where they are, right? Or not getting out of tough situations or, or less than desirable situations because it's what's known. It's what's comfortable. It's even sometimes that the less wanted situation is this known and situation if it's where they are. So how do we pivot into the unknown? Oftentimes the thing that we might be envisioning or the thing we really want for ourselves or the thing we're dreaming of like what if, oftentimes that lives in the unknown and that's really, really scary. I think one option is again to start small to have fun with it so i kind of lucked out and this is one reason why i try to share everything i've learned is because i was trying so hard to find the right career like i just wanted the one right thing the one right title i felt like if i could just find that one right job i would be happy and like i struggled to find it and even when I started working in tech, like I, I still didn't find the one right thing, but I landed on something even better where I all of a sudden was thrown into this situation where you literally didn't have a choice. You had to build into the unknown every day. Like our users wanted something, our stakeholders needed something, the business was trying to build towards something. And I had just landed in this job of working within R&D where literally your job in research and development every day is to plan for the future and then actually build into it. You don't have a full guarantee that everyone's going to love it once you build it and launch it. You don't know if it's going to make the company as much money as you want it to. 
but you have to show up and do your job every day. And that was terrifying to me, especially like early in my career where, where that was so scary. And I was like, not cool with that. So any framework we had to learn how to do that better, to innovate better into that unknown, like I was all about it. And that's why I learned design thinking. That's why I learned agile software development and iterative development. And that's all things that go now into what I teach at Pineapple Studios because it changed my life. I went from being very fearful of like making the wrong decision and very fearful like of the unknown and taking risks and being able to practice almost like within this innovation hub. A lot of the companies I worked at kind of had these like hubs where everyone was talking about failing fast and failing forward. And that's kind of what you were expected to do. I realized like it's really a muscle. When you show up and do that every day, you're building a muscle to innovate. We all have the capacity to imagine something that doesn't exist today and through like consciousness and thought and then testing and building and coming together and collaborating like through all of these cool things, we're actually able to do it, right? Like we can actually create amazing things from our imaginations. So innovation in a way is like very, very natural and innate. Um, But on the other side, especially like you said, it's kind of cultural, right? Where don't make a mistake don't mess up. There's a lot of other departments and companies that if you mess up, like you're not getting your bonus, you're going to get let go. It's very, there's a lot of backlash to making mistakes or to admitting that you're imperfect or that you, that you might've failed at something. So, you know, when I kind of landed in this little space of research and development where you were allowed to make mistakes and even kind of encouraged to, because there really was, there was so much research behind it of that basically those were the teams that were doing the best, the ones that were allowed to try and fail, were the ones that were creating the best products going to market. So being able to work in that space really changed the way I approached the rest of life. And the way I see things has changed the way I see politics, it changed the way I see government, it changed the way I see social issues, it changed the way I saw relationships, it changed the way I saw my own life, because I realized like we all had these expectations of everyone doing everything perfectly or getting super shamed or like seeing everything as black and white. And it's like, wait, hold on. We don't have to be so fearful of things not working, but we can also be much more accountable to at least trying to make them better or like acknowledging that there's something going on that we can all do a better job of improving, but realizing, okay, well, we may not get it right the first time. We probably, there's very small chance of us getting it right the first time, but we're going to keep showing up and we're going to keep trying. So I think it really is a muscle to keep showing up, keep trying, and that makes it less and less scary. And it also makes it more and more like culturally acceptable to try new things and fail and learn from it and try again or do something well and see the needle move towards it and celebrate it together. Very cool. So how can someone practice getting more comfortable making mistakes? in their daily life. I mean, I don't think anyone would recommend practicing making mistakes at their job or with their relationships or, you know, in their car. Those are things we want to avoid. How would you recommend someone make mistakes and get comfortable making them in a way that is safe and sustainable? So I would set that goal. I would set a goal and I would set it around something that you want to get better at. So the other place where this goes hand in hand oftentimes is building a skill or getting an experience that you really want. There are some places that we, we've we already learned and so we're not going to intentionally make a mistake, like especially like when we're driving or something like that, right? Okay, so I think one of the best places to start is to set a goal. 
It can be a small goal and set it around a skill that you want to develop or an experience that you want to have. Because oftentimes like innovation and being the designer of your life goes hand in hand with that, right? So let's say that you've had this idea of you really want to be a public speaker and it's not in your current job description. Your friends and family may or may not understand why you would want that. Maybe you don't even fully understand why you would want that right now, right? Well, that's somewhere where you can find these small little scenarios or places to test and to try. So learning to fail essentially is a muscle. And honestly, when we actually ask ourselves, like, what does it mean to fail? A lot of times what that means is we did something, we put ourselves out there, we tried, and we didn't really get the outcome that we wanted. For me, often that's what I see and that's what I hear from others too when they're kind of even getting comfortable with this idea. And so let's say, for example, if you are starting small and you're just, it can even be project-based. I think that's a, a big place. So for example, if you don't, you don't want to do this huge thing, then you can start small with a specific project of maybe there's a skill you want to develop or maybe there's an experience that you really want to have, but your fear of failure, your fear of not doing it perfect or really amazing the first time off maybe is what's preventing you from doing it. That's a great thing to start with. That's a great place to get practice because once you feel the fear of putting yourself out there and you try the thing and the outcome isn't exactly how you wanted, then you can see, well, I just got that much better at it. So then you sign up for the next thing, right? So if it is public speaking, you sign up, maybe you're doing something where you're putting yourself out there. Did the first talk you give go exactly the way you wanted it to? Probably not. So, so then you go again and you're Now you know that when I get really nervous, I say, um, I didn't know that happened before because I've never put myself in a situation where I get really nervous, right? So now I know when I get on stage, I'm going to say, um, so now I can practice the next time. And then three stages from then or five stages from then, I've now learned something every time I failed, every time it quote unquote didn't go the way I would have hoped. I didn't get the standing ovation I wanted, for example, if that's kind of your metric. You want people to be so moved and so excited by your talk that they're standing and clapping for you. That might not happen the first couple times, but that's a great way to see, oh, but I I just got that much closer to it. So because you're willing to put yourself in that situation over and over, now one day you are on stage and you do get that experience. But it's because you're willing to quote unquote fail or do something and not get the exact result you wanted, you know, all those times before then. I love that. I think that's such a positive and beautiful way of looking at the choices you make and how to build a life you want. I do wonder, for people who have made maybe more serious mistakes, like getting into a marriage they've realized is wrong, or getting far along in a career that's not right for them, how would you recommend they reconcile those mistakes? How do you reconcile those decisions? Would you consider them bad decisions? And what would you recommend for someone who's maybe stuck in a life they're not happy with? What should they do? So it's really hard to innovate and design if you don't have any constraints. So if you have just this like blank canvas, anything can go. Um, it's, that's actually kind of hard. 
having some constraints, having knowing. So, you know, in in the industry that I work in my nine to five, it would be a technical constraint oftentimes is what we would call it, right? Like we only have, we can only build using X, Y, Z, or it might also be a resource constraint. We only have so much money to innovate and build this thing that we need to for Q1 of next year. So there's always constraints. And I think that's so that translates to life, right? It's very rare to have everything lined up just the way we would want it when we're starting off, when we're starting this journey of life design. So I embrace the constraints for one. I know that's sometimes easier said than done, but for one, yes, it's like, now what? Okay, so I am here. This is the environment. These are the scenarios. These are the resources I have at hand. What am I going to do with that? You know, what am I going to build not only despite that, but also like within that, using that. It can be a tool too. It can really be helpful. And the other kind of tool at my disposal that I can share that I think is really helpful is this concept of, they're called gravity constraints. What that means is basically in life, there are some things that we can see a challenge and we can kind of build around it. Or we can look at how to create a solution for it, how to change it, essentially. That's what I'm trying to get at. There are a lot of things in life that there's this problem in front of us and we can build a solution for it. There's plenty of things in life that like, yeah, we may not like the way it's going or we may not like the outcome for a certain decision we made. And so that's a challenge in front of us that we can build for. But there's also some things in life that are going to be really hard to change. And that's what they call gravity constraints. And because like no matter how much we it may bother us that we can't fly, you know, or that we can't like float around, basically gravity will always exist. Gravity is this always present thing for those of us living here on Earth, right? It's just this, it's a non-negotiable. It just is. So most innovators are not going to spend too much time complaining about gravity or worrying that there's gravity or being mad that there's gravity because it just is. And so once you define something as a gravity challenge, as a gravity constraint, then you kind of move on and focus on what you can change. You know, like you have your things in life, things that are gravity, probably don't want to put too much time into worrying about them because they're just the the non-changers. But that gives you a lot of freedom to then look at all of the other things in life that you can make an impact on. And then you get to save your energy and focus to put it on there and see how much of a difference you can make there. I love that. So that actually makes me think of something I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is time. It has become very clear to me over the past few years how precious time is, how little we have, how sometimes if we get into the wrong life design you know I don't want to say wrong life design maybe a life design that we don't feel is meant for us that is time we've spent building it and the faster you are to find something you really want to do the more time you have to build on it how much time do you think you need to build your life design and do you think it can never be too late for someone to build the life that they have always wanted I don't think it's ever too late genuinely believe that I think as cheesy as it sounds there's just no there's no time like the present there you know if someone says oh well I feel like I'm too old to do xyz 
Well, today we literally are the youngest we'll ever be because tomorrow we'll be one day older than we are today. So literally, like if we want to try something or start something, like we can't go back in time. We can only move forward. So like now is the time. We can just do the best with what we've got starting today. So that's what I think about if it's ever too late. I genuinely think that it's never too late. And for the first question about how much time should go into creating a life design. So that's such an interesting question because what it can let us talk about is one is, you know, what is life design in terms of a process versus like a way of, of approaching life? So it's kind of two different things, right? So in terms of a way of approaching life, that's this like ongoing thing of just realizing, bro, I am the designer of my life. Like I if, if something doesn't work, I can be curious about it. I can try again. I can make changes and I can make an impact from those changes, from that thought process. So that's just like we can literally embrace that for the rest of our lives and just watch things flourish and watch the impact that we have. Um, in terms of an actual process within life design, you know, there's different approaches. I like to kind of have this like blueprint. I am more of kind of a strategy process person. So it's like the product manager side of me too. I like to have a roadmap. I like to see our backlog, which is like this list of things that we're going to build out and it's prioritized. And so for that, you want to have a balance, right? You want to take the time to go through discovery, ask yourself those deep questions, go into define. The, the framework that I use is a six-step framework for life design. So it's discovery, define, and then dream. Dream is like ideating, brainstorming. You're coming up with as many ideas of like, how might I get to this big picture goal I want? It's called divergent thinking. So that's basically we're not judging. You're just letting your brain come up with as many possibilities as possible. That's really powerful. There's a reason to do that before you then go into the next stage which is decide. And then that's more convergent thinking, right? Now you've come up with all these ideas and you're honing in. That's when you're starting to decipher what you want to take action on first. And that's really important because sometimes when we have a lot of ideas, that can slow us down and we never really take action on anything. So this allows us to choose the one thing knowing that we can always come back to others but it gives us something to stay focused on and practice working on. And so then we develop it and then we deliver it. We put it out into the world. And in doing that, that's good practice. But as you can see, that whole process, that's an entire design process. And you can see some of those things is taking the time to observe. Some of those things is self-reflection. Some of those things you're like actually writing it down probably or stating it out loud. Some of it is more planning. And then some of it is taking action. So it's this continuous phase of observing, learning, deciding. That's the part of design where you're actually kind of drawing things out. And then you're actually going out and you're building the thing. You're doing the thing and you're seeing how it goes. That's also continuous. So I'd say when starting those first, some of those first phases are the ones that I think you might be alluding to a little bit there and saying like how much time should you put into that to create that blueprint, if you will. Balance it of giving yourself enough time to think through things and to get really honest with yourself. And then don't be too precious about it. It doesn't have to be perfect. And that's why I love any design process is always iterative because a lot of the questions you're asking, a lot of the things you're defining, it's just to help your brain uncover certain things for this first iteration. 
So it's just the act of doing it oftentimes is really, really helpful. And it gets you thinking in a certain kind of more creative way and more intentional way. But things will change. It really is a way of getting clarity and then acting on that clarity. And then because you acted on that clarity, you actually get even more clarity. You actually learn so much. It's experiential learning from doing the building and getting out into the real world and trying your designs. You're learning then too. So then you're taking those learnings back into that planning and back into the strategy and back into defining what you want. So when you're in those first phases of more strategy and deciding, it does not have to be perfect. Give yourself just as much time as you need and then see how it goes because you're going to be back in that phase again once you've tried the things and are back to reflecting. I really love that. I really love the idea that you can take your time. You can take as much time as you need to decide what you want to do. I really love that mindset. Well, what would you recommend for someone who maybe has that mindset but just doesn't know what they want to do? You know, I meet a lot of people who are happy enough in their careers and relationships and where they're living, but they don't have any goals that they're looking towards. They don't really have any overall ambitions. They're floating along in life, but that doesn't mean they want to be. You know, how would you recommend someone who doesn't know what they want to do, who maybe doesn't have any special interests or talent, determine how to best design their life? So the scenario you just described, are they still looking for something? Like, do they want something to shift? So I've met a good number of people now who've told me that they like their jobs, right? They're making enough money to have a comfortable life. They went to a good school. They have friends they like. Sometimes they're in the relationships they're pretty happy with, but they're not satisfied with how their lives are going. They feel like they're wasting time. They don't have any overall ambitions or goals, and they're not really sure what they'd want them to be. They just know they want more. For people like that, which unfortunately is, I feel like a lot of people, both you and I know in our day-to-day lives, what would you recommend for them? What should they do? How should they go about designing a life if they don't really know what they want? Okay, I get the exact scenario you're talking about, right? Like, so things are going pretty great, pretty good in a lot of ways, but there's still that unfulfillment. There's still that I want more. And when you ask them, well, what do you want? You might get a blank stare. You might get, I don't know. You might get a looking away, right? For folks that maybe have not played with these ideas, have not been as intentional around some of these things. What do you want can be a very, very daunting question. I've seen a lot of people stress out over it. I've seen them even disengage, where basically when they were asked that, they didn't know. So they just shut down a little bit. I think we can all sympathize with that of like, it's just so overwhelming. I don't know. Maybe I'll just go back to the default. I'll just go back to the way things are. I won't even worry about it because I have no idea where to start. Definitely have seen that before. I totally get that. But then that nagging feeling of, but I feel like there's something else I'm made for. I feel like I'm meant for more. I just feel not fully fulfilled. I, I feel like I want to give back, right? A lot of people have so much blessings in their life that they want to do something impactful. They want to feel like they have a purpose, like they're doing something meaningful especially if they're paying attention to what's going on in the world. They see so much opportunity, so much pain. They want to help. So where do you even start? So for those folks, just 
know for one that you're not alone. There's no shame in not having this huge life blueprint for yourself or not knowing exactly what you want. That's totally normal. I try to make life design as fun as possible because the more you do it, the more you realize like, oh, this is it's all just a game, you know, like the game of life. And I know that might sound a little like I'm not taking things as seriously as I should. I'm not asking anyone to go disrupt their entire lives and just like I've literally just like, you know, have been the person to just quit my job and went off and, you know, I left tech, went and worked at a wellness resort. Like I decided to just make my entire career an experimentation. I don't recommend that for everyone. (laughs) I totally get people are like they want to keep it much more intact. And I totally get that. And you can absolutely do that. Like you can keep things really smart and safe and a little bit more still with the status quo where you're not getting like the raised eyebrows, right? You can totally do that and still use these frameworks to start to do more discovery and understand what you really want and start to kind of pull those experiences, pull those outcomes into your life more and more, even with little, really little steps and measures. And that can make a really big difference. And to make it a little bit more tangible in terms of examples, if I was working with someone who really didn't know what they wanted and felt a little bit stressed about it and was just kind of starting off, really good question is what don't you want? Like, what don't you like? So innovation helps you get really comfortable with the problem space and it helps you get really comfortable with the solution space. And that's key is to get comfortable moving between the two. So if there's a problem, if there are things that you don't like, things that don't vibe with you, it is really powerful to be able to identify those and address it. Because some people, you know, there's that idea of like the toxic positivity, right? Where like people want to keep it positive, so they don't even acknowledge the things that they don't like. But actually, the person that annoys you at work or the thing that you see on the news and it just breaks your heart every time or like all of those things in the world that you do not like, they are all data points, right? They're not there to pull you down. They're not there to ruin your day. They are literally data points telling you more and more about what really matters to you. Why are you here on earth? What is your design? What are you meant to do? Those are all data points guiding you the way. The problem is that so many of us just get locked into them. We're like, oh, this person at work is so annoying, blah, blah, blah. And then we're like super worried about this other person's behavior. No, like that's only that is there to remind you, like, what don't you like about their behavior? Are they gossiping? Are they really negative? Are they trying to look good to get the promotion, but they're not actually making a positive impact? Like whatever it may be, like that's data points about you and how you want to show up in the world. That's reminding you of what matters to you and your core values. So that's a huge place to show people if if for someone who's just starting off is to learn how to start collecting data points. And that's part of discovery, right? Just start collecting what feels good, what doesn't feel good. What do I like? What do I not like? What inspires me? What breaks my heart? Basically, insights come out of that that can really help people kind of take the first steps to see what is my purpose? What am I here for? The, the other part of it is, of course, like it can be easy to get stuck in the negative sometimes, though, of people that either like don't want to acknowledge the negative or you also see sometimes people that acknowledge the negative and then they just get stuck. They're like, oh, everything's awful. There's all this stuff going on. But the thing is, again, is to see that as data and then be able to bring that with you into the solutionizing side, like onto the side of, okay, now ask yourself, how might I? Like, how might I be the change agent? How might I make a positive impact in that space? How might I contribute to what I do want to see in the world? 
And oftentimes that, again, is like that compass or those data points pointing you to what you do want to design your life around to be that person. Do you believe that everyone has a purpose, that everyone has something special about them that they can contribute to the world? I do. I literally believe that every single person is designed the way they are for a reason, has something to contribute to the world. And I believe that we're all kind of in a lot of ways like puzzle pieces where we have all these different strengths, all of these different interests that come together in these really amazing ways to build something even bigger. Do you believe that everyone has one specific purpose or can someone have multiple that exist inside of them that they have to choose from? I think that it's multiple and I also think that it kind of evolves sometimes. So something that might be really compelling to us at one stage in our life, um, once we take the time to invest in it and really you know, experience that thing or become really good at that thing or create that thing if it's something that doesn't exist in the world yet and we want to bring it to life. I think a lot of times once we get good at following that part inside of us that's like guiding us to our purpose, the more we embrace that and the more we lean into it, we're able to bring these really great things to life and to the world. And then oftentimes it allows us to then evolve to the next thing, right? And because we accomplished one thing, now we have all these skill sets, all this experience that then can go to the next thing. So I think it's very common to for our purpose to evolve as, as we do throughout our lives. I love that. So then that makes me wonder, how do you feel about distractors? Distractors mean things that take someone away from their overall goal. Social media is a popular one to criticize, but it goes beyond that. It could be television. It could be going out drinking. It could be obsessively exercising. It could be drugs. A lot of things can take you away from your overall goals. How do you feel about them? Do you engage in any? And if you do, how do you feel about yourself after them? And how would you recommend someone maybe stop doing them or engaging with them in such a heavy way? Oh my gosh. So yes, that's huge, right? That's one reason that I really love this concept of life design or really just anything that gets us more intentional and clearer headed on who do I want to be? How do I want to be showing up? What are the things that I really care about? Because the more awareness we have around that, the more we notice when those distractors pop up, right? Because when we're just living on default and we really haven't even taken the time to ask ourselves some of these questions and get clear on it, then it's super easy to not even realize when, you know, maybe we're letting ourselves get sucked into not very productive conversations, arguments. I think that was one of my distractors in the past was being in a relationship where I always felt like I was trying to like explain myself and I just felt like I couldn't win. And I put so much energy into being understood that doesn't align at all with what I'm looking for in life. The more I've done life design, the less time I spend trying to explain myself to others. You know, like, I'm kind of like, if you get me, you get me. If you don't, you don't. I'll explain to a certain extent, like, I'm, you know, but you, you start to pick up on like, oh, okay, these people just are on a different wavelength. And that's fine. You know, that's totally fine. But like, you start to get much more... I don't know. For me, I, I value my time more because I see how impactful my time is more now, too. That being said, you asked me, do I have any distractors? Oh, my God. Social media is like a huge distractor for me because all of these distractors, they're all um, release, I think, is serotonin, right? They, it's all about the chemicals in our brain, these reward chemicals. 
Um, I have ADHD, so I know that those uh, chemicals are even harder sometimes to have released, especially with like smaller tasks that people would find mundane. So for me, I have to be even more cognizant of like my own life design and like what is going to help me do the things I want to do to achieve the results I want to achieve. And I have to come up with even more ways to kind of reward myself or I can almost convince myself, right? So I'm looking at myself as designing these experiences for the user, for my future self. It's like, how the heck am I going to get myself to do these tasks to have the type of life I want to have where things are kind of organized? You know, it's not just like chaos, which it easily could be if I wasn't more aware of it. So yeah, it's all about like knowing that our brain wants to be happy. It wants to be comfortable. And there are a lot of things out there that will give us that, those like kind of like pleasure feelings and like comfort feelings. So the more we can be aware. So like mindfulness is really huge. Taking the time just to be and like for anyone who does meditation can kind of can I'm sure can relate to that feeling of just letting all of the distractions go and just get that really good feeling of just being um, because our brain can very easily go to default and it can very easily just like pick up the the cell phone because we feel bored pick up the cell phone because we feel stressed you know and we're looking for something to alleviate that pain the more aware we are the more control we kind of have over that that was great. So let's play a quick game. I'm going to give you three areas of life design that someone might want to be successful in. You know, I think most people want to be successful in these things. And you tell me what you think the biggest distractors are. So first one, healthy romantic relationship. Ships. We're in Austin, so some people have relationships. Um, a healthy romantic life would be one. Two, a career that is rewarding, fulfilling, and gets them what they need, and three, interpersonal relationships. What are the biggest distractors for those? Let's see. So for the first one of really healthy, happy relationships, I think one of the biggest distractors is like people-pleasing or wanting to be liked, wanting to be accepted, because oftentimes that will put so much time and energy into that that it can make us fit into a relationship that really doesn't fit with our design, right? Doesn't fit with what we really want in life, doesn't really fit with what will bring out our best self, but we kind of adjust ourselves to be accepted or like to to fit in with with that other person, like within that kind of entity of a couple. Because a lot of people, I think, fear rejection. There's uh, probably on the other side of rejection, there's a pleasure of being chosen, right? There's a pleasure of, of someone wanting to be with you, wanting to be around you, choosing you. And so we all want to be chosen. They see it as this attack on them personally. When you really take a step back, like there's no way everyone's going to choose you. There's no way everyone's going to love everything about you because we're all different. We're not meant to all be together like we are going to be attracted to different people authentically genuinely deeply when we're truly truly ourselves the pool of who will really really want to be around us and fall in love with us is going to get smaller and smaller the more we're really honest with ourselves and with others about who we really are what our interests truly are 
you know, how we want to communicate, how we want to be treated. So that pull will just get smaller and smaller, which oftentimes means feeling like you're getting rejected more and more. So I think that that's like a huge thing of like trying to avoid rejection is a huge distraction in actually creating really loving, meaningful, accepting relationships where you truly belong. I think that also really matches romantic, like really healthy romantic relationships as well. Um, the sec- What was the second one? Having a healthy, stable, and happy career. I didn't know why I said it like I was a game show host. <laughs> I I love that. Yes, like should maybe our careers could should be like a game show. Um so one of the biggest distractions there in my own personal opinion and observation is this belief that one company and one position are going to be the end all be all for our professional development. Like so especially for those of us that care about our impact in the world. We want to make a positive impact. Uh, Maybe we want to make a positive social impact. We tend to look for companies that align with our values, that are doing something in the world. If we're going to be spending all of that time of our day at this desk, at this job, we want it to be going towards something that we really care about, right? So it makes sense why people put so much pressure and wait on their job. But what I would do is invite folks to at least try um, play with the idea that our jobs and the companies we work for are not the end-all be-all, but that our larger life mission and vision is. And so really look at what is it that I want to achieve professionally? What is it? What is the impact I want to have in the world? And how is the job I'm currently in or the next job that I apply for or the next one or the next one, how are those essentially these stepping stones and building the experiences, the uh, know-how and skill sets to ultimately get me to where I want to go? Because I think I have heard so much dissatisfaction from people who think this they, they, they see the job online, they see the description, they see the company and what it says it stands for. They think this is this is it. This is the answer. They get there and they're immediately disappointed. Maybe it's the team dynamics. Maybe it's that the company isn't truly building, you know, doesn't seem quite as aligned with the goals they said. Whatever it may be, I've just heard that disappointment a lot. So I would say I think that where you start, you start to see people take more ownership of their careers and have less disappointment in the workplace is when they have a bigger picture vision for their life and for themselves and for their profession. And so they're finding all different types of ways to create that end result. Like it's their job. It's what they're doing on the weekends. It's what they're doing when they're volunteering. It's like these passion projects they're spinning up either on their own or with friends or with other colleagues. It's strategy, right? So if like if people right now are talking about having like multiple sources of income, you know, multiple streams of income, it's it's kind of along that ways of thinking, but it's like mo- multiple sources of passion and purpose and growth and development is like you don't limit it just to this one entity like we used to with jobs. Um, you're It's just a little bit more strategic than that. And it puts more of like the power, I think, with the individual. 
And what about with friendships? What are blockers that can keep someone from developing meaningful and happy friendships? I don't know. I think that's a really great question, but I don't think I really know. My my gut is saying kind of like judgment. So friends, the greatest blocker, I think maybe twofold of of judgment of you know expecting them to always be making kind of the right decisions or the decisions we would be making especially for those of us maybe that are getting more into intentional living and being more thoughtful with kind of our approach I know that for folks sometimes that can be kind of tough to then have friends that maybe are not making those sorts of decisions that sometimes can be distracting to at the end of the day really positive supportive friendship but I also would say there's almost like the other side of it too of a distraction of you know thinking that you can't to me some of the best friendships are the ones where it's very accepting but it's also very honest you know where you see each other's potential and you believe in each other and so you can reflect back to each other like hey I I think you're capable of this or hey maybe they're you're self-sabotaging on something like and your friend can tell you they're not expected to just kind of sit back and not say something if they see something right to me that's kind of the combination of like knowing there's this unconditional support knowing that you care about each other and you're going to be there for each other and you have space to learn and grow and fail and make mistakes and not feel like you're friend to someone judging you on the sideline but just that's like there for you along the way you know that support system I think that's really amazing to have but also not with expecting people not to say something either if they really believe in you and want the best for you well I love that so I do know we're coming up on time but I have one final question for you which is should happiness be the metric you use to see if you're designing the best life you know are we happy are we enjoying our time and people tend to really use that as the metric for success what do you think about that how do you feel about that metric how do you use it and do you think it's something that should be the standard so I heard something once that said it's not about the pursuit of happiness it's finding happiness in the pursuit Uh, and that's what I believe I think that sometimes when we're just seeking happiness, that can be kind of hard to grasp and it makes it hard in those times of, you know, struggle or in the times of working hard or in the times of kind of getting to our goals. It can make it, if we're not happy right then, we see it as as failing. But I think when we let ourselves care about things and when we let ourselves acknowledge what isn't working and what we would want and when we start working for that and really start to focus more on kind of purpose and meaning then that I believe is what starts to create fulfillment is that pursuit and I think that's where we find ourselves kind of in those moments of happiness and we start to see more joy coming into our lives that being said I I also think there's a balance of letting go sometimes and just embracing play embracing fun letting yourself laugh you know, letting yourself just have a good time and just be happy. Because oftentimes it's like we want to be so happy so much and we think that there's this certain, you know, one right thing that's going to create it for us. And so we're so focused on that, that we don't even let ourselves just relax a little bit 
and enjoy the ride. But one thing that, you know, along the idea of you also said kind of a measurement of success, like is happiness the right measurement of success or the right metric to even be looking at? I think, you know, along those lines of like, how can you best measure success? It's really hard to measure something without defining it. So the first step really is asking yourself, what does success mean to me? What does success look like to me? What does joy mean to me? What does joy and happiness look like? And that is going to look different to everybody. You know, that's going to mean something different to everyone. And you can kind of even ask yourself, why? Why is that what success looks like? To kind of dig into your deeper kind of root driver behind what you really want and what will really be fulfilling to you and then that's what you can use more as a metric of like that's where you can see oh am I doing things that are going to contribute to what's truly going to bring me joy you know what's truly going to feel like success to me so if you are in the audience right now and you are working on certain goals and you do feel like there's still more or you're not yet at that place of being super, super fulfilled with where you're at, just know that this is part of the process and you have just identified maybe some really cool things that are actually going to help you get to where you are meant to be going because you are meant for something. You are here for a reason. You are designed beautifully and you deserve a life that's designed for you. feel good.